You have all of this responsibility and accountability to make the humans' lives better. Tabitha Don currently serves as Chief of Customer Officer, Head of Customer Experience and Global Sales Excellence at Ericsson. In this role, she leads the development of customer experience practice and strategy, the employee experience transformational of the global sales community and the global sales center of excellence. Previously, she served as vice president of customer and partner experience at SAP. In that role, she led the efforts on building out the customer experience strategy and program, as well as developing the roadmap for driving CX improvements in CX disciplines and leading major transformation efforts. Prior to joining SAP and Concur, Tabitha built and led the Customer Insights Practical for Citrix as the Managing Director of Customer Insights and developed the CX program for the healthcare division of Philips as the Global Director of Customer Experience. With 18-plus years of experience as a leader in CX field, Tabitha also serves as the Treasurer on the Board of Directors for the Customer Experience Association and is Certified Customer Experience Professional. Without further ado, let's welcome together Tabitha Dunn. So, welcome Tabitha for the CX Human Lab. Thank you very much for taking the time today to talk with us. It's an honor and pleasure to have you here. I already introduced you, so do not have to worry about that. My first question for you, how are you doing and feeling during this such challenging time in Sweden? How are you adapting with your family there? Oh, that's kind of you to ask. I, you know, I consider myself incredibly fortunate. I recognize that for, for most people right now, Uh, circumstances can be wildly different. And, you know, moving to Sweden in 2019 with my family, we were very excited for the chance to come and uh, not only to come to Ericsson, but to come to Sweden and learn about the culture and get to be able uh, to, to make new friends. Those are things that my family and I really love to do. But I, I think that if I think about the challenges specifically for 2020, and in particular the pandemic, um, one, I'm incredibly fortunate to do something I love and I do it for a company that is really, I think, in a really important, powerful place to help people right now. And that, you know, the knowing that what we do is helping connect people. So many people are doing what we're doing right now and working from home. Um, We're lucky to not only have our jobs, but have that ability to have connectivity to our offices and our you know, fellow employees around the world. So those things I'm really grateful for. I think that you know, it's, it's best to remind myself of what I have and what is great about it, um, rather than to dwell on, on what we don't have or what maybe we've missed out on. Because then I easily can get caught up in thinking about those things instead of the, the bright spots. Yeah, I, I understand you. And I think Sweden is a great country as well. So you are in you know very well spot of the world. So that's no 
no doubt there. How are you adapting to the Sweden business-wise and what do you think are the major differences in corporate culture and individual level and in, in, in company level when you are dealing with global companies and you are operating everywhere in the world? I'm lucky that for the the 20 some odd years that I have been in CX, I've had um, global roles and worked for global companies. Great and the, <laughs> Yes, without a doubt. And I've learned so much in every single one of them. And a big part of learning is really the fact that, you know, everybody is different. Um, even assuming that everybody in Sweden is the same is, is not true. As we had talked about briefly before we started, um, people's personalities are different. Their histories are different. Maybe they've traveled a lot or lived a lot of places, or maybe their family comes from somewhere else. And so to me, when you have diversity of culture, of experience, of background, of, of gender, when you have all those types of diversity in your teams and in a company like Ericsson, we're in 180 countries around the world with over 100,000 employees. We have a lot of really outstanding diversity in our company. I think it makes your thought processes better and the way people think, the way they solve problems, um, it really makes collaboration better too. And, and yeah, that and the, is and what outcomes. I love about it. It does, it does. Yeah, but also, you learn something all along the way, right? And that's, to me, what keeps me coming back for more in this job. Yeah, diversity is the best thing in the world because you, you get so many ideas to solve one problem that you would approach from here and the other guy will come from here and it will solve even better the problem and then you get here. That's really like mm -hmm. the principle of MBA, but that's really works and that's what I love about. Um, what do you think would help global organizations to better understand culture different or difference in, in different cultures as in order to penetrate those countries because many companies come with one model and they think this model will fit everyone and that's not always the case especially now that we focus in cx ex everybody have their analysis have the differences how would you approach that with your experience today from such amazing global or global so that's uh that's a... Well, I think what's interesting about companies is that a lot of what informs the culture isn't just the people, it's also what country the company starts from. Um, it, it does a lot to really inform how the company operates, not just the culture. And I'll, I'll share a story from, from Philips that in my early days when I worked for, for them, someone had explained to me that Philips has a tremendous consensus culture. Um, so regardless of what part of the world you come from in Philips and what your experience is, you operate in that consensus culture if you want to be successful. And the story they told me about it was really fascinating to me because they said that in the Netherlands, um, and I will probably get this wrong for our Dutch listeners, so please <laughs> take my apologies as I carry this story forward. But what they said is because water and land are so precious and so well managed in many ways in the Netherlands, that if they're going to build a new canal or they're going to move the direction of the canal or something's going to have 
an effect on whether they're going to clear more land and move water away, which which the Netherlands is famous for their engineering skills in that regard. It has to be 100% in the village. So if mm. one person in the village says, no, I disagree and I will not agree to support the initiative to move the canal or expand it or whatever, they don't do it. Now, I imagine in today's world that starts to, you know, that maybe there's more compromise and negotiation or maybe things have changed. But it's something that's rooted in the Dutch culture that I thought was really fascinating to me. And they said that's a big part of what drives consensus in Philips. But I think when you go into a company or even before you accept a job, most people when they are interviewing should ask a question about culture. But they should really think about, you know, not just the people culture and the culture statements and the values of the company, but how does that affect decision making? Because mm -hmm. that often tells you a lot about how the culture works in the company. Um, so that that was the lesson I learned from Philips that I thought was so fascinating. And I have a question about exactly that point. And I... Consensus is very important, obviously. We all wish win a meeting in, in, to, to the better outcome, correct? But not always consensus is the best tool to achieve better outcomes because you, let's say you have, you are in a C-suite level, you are talking to many people and you disagree with people and you really are convinced that that's the way they are want to take is not the right way. Don't you think that also uh, challenging the consensus can be a good strategy or do you think that this is a, a unwelcome let's say that way uh, well, about that i'm sorry about the question but just because you said no, that's no, what i was thinking no. it's a good one it's not that so much that i say that consensus is the best way to operate more that the example i gave was consensus was core to the phillips Good. culture It's not necessarily the same in, you know, any other company I've worked for. It doesn't operate that way. Having worked for SAP, you know, they, um, there was definitely a strong, you know, history of the German culture. Now working for Ericsson, there's a strong history of Swedish culture. Having worked for American companies, you can see American culture. Um, but it is a good question about consensus. And I would say that it's, I'm not a fan of consensus for consensus sake, but I am a big fan of effective change management because I've, I've said it many times and, and I'll say it again, you know, the hardest lesson I ever learned early on in CX is you have all of this responsibility and accountability to make the human's lives better, to make the customer experience better, to if you're doing it really well, you're making the employee experience better at the same time. Um, but if you aren't thoughtful about the fact that people don't change the same way, like you have all that responsibility, you have no authority to do it because true change comes from people wanting to change or at yeah. least accepting that, yes, I may disagree, but I'm going to agree to move forward with the decision and the change. Um, that really is incredibly important to making true lasting impact. Yeah, I 100% agree with you because just talking here in Germany and in many parts of the world, you have companies that have slogans and in the time of really leading the change is very difficult for them to go practical with that because not just say let's change and let's have a culture of customer experience doesn't work. You have to do things to get there 
and take some time and some effort, I think a, a larger effort to change companies and people behavior, especially. That's uh, my experience with Samsung, now SAP and other companies. You are a leading employee experience strategist for some of Ericsson verticals, Ericsson verticals today, okay? You are leading sales employee experience. How did you analyze it? The, not specifically about Ericsson, about your experience. How do you analyze the gaps when you come on board and how you're going to improve things for the company? Yes? Because it's a journey. You know what where you are. You have to get to this point and you have to also convince people to do that with you. How, how, how you do this process of uh, getting the things right be, 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 uh, beyond the communications and change management, but what, what is your, your thoughts about it? How you do that? Well, first I'll say that philosophically, um, any type of improvement initiative you run in a business should really do three things. It should be assessed for, you know, what operational benefit will it give the company? What benefit will it give the employees that'll be affected by the change? And what benefit will it give our customers? And, you know, I think a lot of times the concept there is that doing things for customers or employees or both of them is somehow fluffy and it's the operational piece that really matters. But truly, if you want change to stick and you want to have long lasting benefits, you should change it for the humans and the business at the same time. And I find that they work very well together. And if you're very analytical and, and fact-based about how you approach the CX, in addition to the empathy and the humanness that you bring to it, then bringing those things together makes for a better solution design in the end. So if I think about the responsibility we have, I none of the salespeople or our pre-sales or our commercial management teams report into my organization. Um, part of why that's beneficial when I, I have this responsibility for employee experience, their employee experience, isn't that I replace their manager or the country they work in or the organization they work in. But instead, I look for what global needs do you have that I can solve for? And that's actually very fact-based. They give a lot of insights and, and data to help with that. That's everything from behavior, even to go, you know, old school and do something like time and motion studies, like following, um, following a purchase order from the beginning of the process to the end of it really helps you get data on how the process works why it's inefficient, why, what parts of it work well, um, and what the employee needs as a result of that. At the same time, you can assess both sides of that equation. Um, and both of them become important parts of the data. And one of the best things you can give employees back is time. Definitely, Adam. Especially here in Europe, it's very appreciated, as you probably know that. And, uh... exactly. There's never enough time for, for everything in your life. You know, there's always more work to be done. There's more things you want to do with, you know, your loved ones or with your life. Um, so if you can find a way to take time out of a process, what, what a great, better experience can you give them? Yeah, I agree with you. And the impact of the work that you are doing now, uh, employee experience and in, in, in also in sales, for sure, uh, Maybe for sure not, it's not the right uh, word here, I don't know. 
<laughs> just to, assuming you have many verticals in the company and Ericsson is a very big company and would not work effectively if you just focus in the sales. You have many different uh, verticals to, ch to check here because everything is in the end of the day, you want to have one company, correct? In the perception of a customer. And how are you dealing with all those aspects of uh, different verticals and getting them together? We are going to talk about silos later, but just uh, because you mentioned that, so I was uh, about sales. So then that's something that we cannot separate from other things. If the product doesn't work, so then you have a problem in the sales. So everything's connected, yeah. You know, how, this is now my fifth time building a customer experience practice. Um, none of them have been the same. And part of that is because the customer needs might be different. The marketplace might be different. Definitely. The business has different needs of you. When I first was, you know, approached with the, the Ericsson um, opportunity, I remember thinking, well, that's unusual that you would put sales excellence and an employee experience for our, our customer facing teams in, in sales and customer experience together. And, you know, I really wanted to explore why is that connection important? Because customer experience does look at the end to end journey of the exactly. customer. Um, and we really do look at the ecosystem that sits around the customer. Um, and so what came out of that, you know, that analysis as I went through that was really that in Ericsson, um, our customers are, you know, they're closest to our salespeople. In other companies, when you say sales, you might think of the salesperson who shows up and I'm here to sell you something and, you know, hopefully it's a good experience. And then when the deal is done, they go away. And many other companies have um, maybe some type of relationship manager or customer success manager that sort of fills the, you know, the relationship management role. Um, in, in Ericsson, it's the same person. And, and part uh -huh. of that is because our salespeople could never sell you something if they don't understand what you need and what it takes for you to be successful as a customer. Exactly. And, and so that, yeah. yeah, that deep knowledge they develop of our customers, what they need and the relationships they build and how they are there for our customers, regardless, like they are always with our customers. Um, that really made a whole lot of sense to me then because they are that, that, um, I love how one of my team once put it down, the orchestrators of their customer experience. Yeah, and yeah. that was, uh, that was really neat to me. And I thought to myself, that's fascinating. So I could see then why the people who are closest to specific customers would be in improving their experience and utilizing their knowledge of our customers is so valuable to improving the customer experience. So they really do, in our world, go very closely together. Yeah, that, that's, uh, I never thought in that terms that one person will have, but that's true. To be a great, uh, to deal with sales at all, you have to be, you have to understand what you're doing, otherwise you cannot uh, actually, and it's better even if they have to keep all the life cycle of the customer because the relationship develops better. You don't have those, uh, customer success now, now onboarding is, I think is really cool. Very different, I must say that, but very, very good as well. Very, a different model works. What is your definition of great EX 
And where do you think global companies are failing on that? Because there are many, many, especially I don't work with startups, but I, I know many startups that assume that EX is something that you probably don't see in that way. And I don't see in that way as well, because they think there's a great conditions to have a great food. And I, I'm very far from this thing. What is your take on that? And what, uh, what, what is in your perception, in your experience? Uh, a real great EX for, for, for that allows the people to be themselves, that allows the people to give you really honest feedback because it's something very tough to do it, you know, because you are afraid or I, I don't know what, especially in the corporate world. Your take on that? I'm sorry about the question. <laughs> no, 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 no apologies. I, it's just, it's a complex answer, unfortunately. So let me see if I could try to, to break it down, at least at a high level. Um, I, the size of a company and the purpose of a company do a lot for employee experience. So you mentioned startups, smaller companies, whether they're startups or they are family-owned businesses or you know whatever they are, the personal touch from the, the top and the way that that feels like a relationship is much easier to build um, because you know you can you can do wonderful things that are very very thoughtful um, and very um, oriented towards making it feel like a family even if you're not a family business right you could be that that connection i think that many companies when they grow past that stage struggle with scale and what's interesting for, you know, for me having mostly worked for very large companies in my life is that you, when you reach those points and you see it a lot because as companies I've worked for have acquired other companies, you get to see how that scale starts to be a challenge. And most of the time a company when they're trying to do really good, you know, acquisition strategy and then they go into their integration part they think about, well, we have to integrate finance, we have to integrate systems, we need to move people around, like they do a lot of that. And there's now, I think, more of an emphasis on culture and the employee experience and how do we preserve some of that, you know, and, and make sure the cultures connect. Um, but we don't think about how you scale culture and how you scale employee intimacy. We talk about customer intimacy, that feeling of personal connection really happens from from your leadership chain. If you feel connected to the leaders in your organization, if you see them as people, if you can see yourself in the company either growing or progressing in your career, like if you see that and you have that connection, then I think that that makes it more valuable for people from a personal level. Um, if you are connected to the purpose of the company as well, then you sort of complete the circle. And, but for a lot of leaders, um, they're not necessarily taught that vulnerability and empathy are strengths from a leadership perspective. There are many different types of excellent leadership styles, um, but having more skills and different leadership styles to flex to, I think make for a better employee experience because then some employees don't want that level of employee. They want to come to work and I want to deliver yeah. and, you know, right? So I should be able to be that type of boss for them. 
But for someone who wants more of that empathy and that connection, I should be able to make that available to them too. Um, so that's how I think about employee experiences. It really is, what do they say? You you don't leave a company, you don't leave a job, you leave your boss. That's fine. Um, I don't know if that's always been true for me. I don't, I've had some pretty great bosses over the years. Um, but I can say that you might, you know, that connection to them either makes it easier to say yes to something else because you don't have a connection or makes it much harder because you do. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, so that's why I said com- employee experience is complicated because there's so many different elements to it. Yeah, and as you, as you mentioned, I think you, you, everybody has their own needs and it's most like a, a tailored experience for everyone. But you have to keep being yourself as if you are like that, you are empathetic to everyone, you, you should be to everyone because you cannot adapt for, or be less empathetic with you because your, your <laughs> needs, yes, that's, a, that's the, the, the thing of leadership. Thank you very much. I, I like you. you, you have such great uh, mind. I, I knew that, I knew that's the reason I invited <laughs> you here. So, Tabitha, I have a, another question. You served so many great companies as Citrix, um, SAP first Concur and then SAP acquired and now with Ericsson and all of them have a commonality in, in terms of my point of view and maybe I'm wrong as well. All of them have systems and multidisciplinary or, or, or enterprise technology systems which the design is not always human very friendly centric. Yeah <laughs> and, and you know that I'm sure you, you know that. Maybe less in, in concur, but when you go when you got the role in SAP, you, you know you know the, the challenges, and even uh, Bill McDermott recognized the problems yeah, before he leaves so much that he in, invested 850 millions to to change this. So what what is your take in terms of uh, how we can create? And I think this is connected to your work because one of to succeed in sales is not just about uh, um, having a great people prepare it, but also to create experience for the user standpoint that you adopt the solution. What's your take on that, that the companies, especially enterprise technology, are missing? You know, I, I have an example for you. When you go to the cockpit of Salesforce, for example, if you don't know that before, believe me, you take your time to understand what's going on there. And I, and I can apply the same thing from a company that I come from, Oracle and SAP. And, and it's not intuitive, it's not... Uh, what, what do you think that is missing here in this uh, mindset that I have maybe about simplification and real innovation and adoption? Because that's the, what you are looking for in the sales, correct? And I'm sorry you about know, the complex company, but uh, the complex question, but that's uh, really... I think your take would be very... Very interesting to hear. Well, I think you probably uh, get a lot of different answers from from various designers around the world. Um, But I would say that in my experience, one of the harder things to do from a technology perspective is to find the right balance between features and functionality and user experience. And that is not always easy. And interestingly enough, it's a it's a problem from a customer perspective because um, not all customers care about their end user experience. Some companies 
install the system and when they are doing the evaluation in the RFP process, they look for user experience. Uh, some of them do not. They look for functionality and capabilities and cost and not user experience, or maybe user experience is the bottom of the list. When you as a company are selling to your customers, if a lot of your customers don't care about user experience, maybe you don't prioritize it as much either because it's not what your customers are demanding from you. Uh, but there's the opposite challenge of customers are always wanting new functions, new capabilities in technology, and particularly like you mentioned, the software world. Every time you add something, it makes it more complicated. That's right. And, and it is extraordinarily hard to make the complex intuitive. And I always think, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I believe it was Mark Twain who said, I would have written a shorter letter, but I didn't have time. Um, it is, that to me is the essence of user experiences, tension with product development. To simplify the complex takes more time. It's worth it. And in fact, that's actually one of my philosophies for, for change is I'd rather take more time so it's easy to get right and difficult to do wrong. It might take twice as long for us to get to the finish line, but it's worth doing it that way because then you've made it easier to do. And that means it'll be stickier from a change perspective, but not, you know, that's not always something you have the opportunity to do when you're doing product design. And I would imagine that for most companies, that's the constant challenge. How do I make it easier? How much time do I invest in making it easier versus how much time do I invest in giving customers the long list of things they want those tools to do? I agree with you, but it's interesting because what I see in the market is that as more complex the product is, longer your, your onboarding program will be as well because you have to, to yeah, and that makes a problem in, in itself as you have to make things bigger to explain, to clarify all the details. And that's what, uh, uh, actually, two companies that I work with, one that you worked with as well, SAP, are trying to tackle right now. And it's very interesting to see they take on those things. But that's another yep. interesting to hear what you think about that. When you are creating a better experience for employees, you know, we are obviously nothing you work with, don't have a customer experience that is great as well, because that's the intention, correct? And are you also working uh, in with other departments in order to have the company working as one or you are working specifically with the team of sales because i think uh, intuitiveness adoption is what business runs today and i don't know if i agree with that but that, that's that's our intention then of today and when you acquire something today especially with cloud is not enough you have to have adoption, otherwise I don't stick with you next year. And that's the sales as well. So what's your take in terms of bringing a company together to make both the experience for the employee great and the experience of the customer as well? Because one depends on the other anyway. Yeah, you know, one of the things I, I love about customer experience and probably why I continue to do this job is because you have the opportunity to work with every part of the company. 
Um, so I, I don't just work with the, the frontline facing teams and sales or services. Um, I work a lot with finance and legal and IT and, and compliance and like all of those different groups. Um, I would say that over the years, probably the one I've worked with the least is facilities. And, <laughs> and I love the fact that right now, um, facilities is front and center in the employee experience discussion. I think that's phenomenal because now companies are suddenly going, maybe I can be located elsewhere. Maybe I could have a smaller footprint, which is great for the earth, right? But at the same time, it could be restructured so that it's far more flexible and collaborative and oriented to when you're in the office today, this is the way you, you need to work. And when you're in the office tomorrow, maybe you need to work differently. Those types of conversations, I think that, you know, only the very bleeding edge companies have talked a lot about facilities and employee experience in that, that type of fashion. Um, so yeah, I think that that's going to be what's interesting to me is that when you work in CX, there's so many wonderful things that you get to do um, and so many people you get to know and I'm constantly amazed at how passionate people are. And people are like, I want to help. I want to make this better for our people and our customers. And, and that keeps me going, especially because, you know, change is hard. And yeah. that ability to, to connect with so many people and be the bridge. That's really what CX people are, are that bridge that connects across all those silos. Yeah, I love that because the beauty is exactly what you're saying for me as well. The beauty of CX that you are involved, in, you cannot just impact here, you have to impact everything because it's one one company, yes, that's the, the approach. And forgive me to mention so many times one company, I have experience with companies that you could see the silos so divided from outside as a client, you know, as a customer, I mean, not as a, not as a professional. So this is really frustrate me. So I was envisioning you and Ericsson creating this one thing company that the, obviously they have many divisions. I work in Frankfurt with the division of DSS, OSS, but I really, I, I really like your take. That's that's all I can say right now. All organizations, as, as, as they grow, as you mentioned in the beginning, they, they become more, you know, they need more control, finance, ERP, uh, logistics, etc. How do you think, uh, how we can create easy experiences for employees and, uh, and ultimately for the customers creating inside, you're going to create outside as well, in order to avoid complexities because when, as more companies add processes, procedures, things that you have to fulfill, to fulfill in terms of uh, processes, in many companies, you turn people off. And I read uh, uh, I read uh, something about SAP in the past. It was public data that 40% of the people they found out internally that was to, uh, was supposed to do things that they was not they was expending 40% of their time doing things that they was not supposed to be doing because they have so many things to get done. So then you know you don't focus on what you was hired for doing. You're doing other things. It's part administration, but how? Do you see this going forward in terms of complexities and simplification of systems? You know, um, you're probably very familiry with the um, pro-sci model for change, the ADCAR model. 
if more people went through that that training and learned to apply it, even if all they remembered is understanding the ADCAR model, I think it would make a, a huge impact for the ability to drive effective change. And it's, you probably, anybody listening, they could go back and count the number of times I've talked about change. Um, the reason is because I have been incredibly lucky to learn a lot about customer experience, everything from learning about design thinking at the Stanford Design School, from being able to, like I've done years of research and all these things that, that are core to CX. Um, but in the end, everything you're doing in customer experience and employee experience is asking people to change. It's if you're not an effective change leader, it's not gonna work as well as you'd like. And it is the most common mistake anybody makes. ProSci has reams of data on that. Um, that if you're going to start a project, you're the project leader, the sponsor, or you're asked to become a part of the core team, you're starting right there at knowledge, right smack in the middle. And so you're excited to be there, hopefully, or you're at least willing to change already. And you don't think that the wider group of people who have to change with you are probably still stuck back at awareness or desire. And that is really the constant part of my brain is thinking about, well, are they aware that we need to change? Are they aware of the problem even? Do they have the same desire to change? Do they think this is the right priority for us to change? Do they think this is the right direction for us? Um, all of those types of discussions help you uh, simplify things because everybody who raises an objection to change or to an initiative is your friend exactly. because they're telling they you care. something exactly it's the silence that really should worry you right you 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 want to spend time with the people who already support you and believe we should do this but you need to spend just as much time with the people who have objections because those objections really count in either making your solution better identifying parts of the problem that you haven't thought of helping you figure out better ways to communicate when you do need to change, or even just making sure that they know, I heard you, and here's how what you said is reflected in what we learned, and hopefully reflected in what we're gonna do differently as a result. That ability to embrace objections is a core part of solving the problem you talk about, about making things simpler. It takes a lot more time, um, but doing that time up front, Exactly. It makes it so much better in the end. And that's probably one of the most important skills CX people don't learn. Better and more effective change management. I agree with you 100%. That's, that's really like that. This is one of the tool. It's like a company. Uh, the same things about companies when your customers are criticizing you. And that, that's actually great because uh, they first they care. They're showing you that they care. And the second thing is that... Uh, or you listen and and enable or improve what they are talking with you, or you at least start a conversation with them to improve that later. Maybe if you cannot do that, especially in the technology world, ability of listen you are talking about in the end of the day, and that's uh, but that's that's a great point because uh, care is everything about CX. If you care, if you are engaged, you know who is caring about something in life in business because of this fact that people give you opinions 
you know, that, that's how I am as well. I like to, be, uh, to think, oh, well, maybe you can do better that. Maybe you can do better here. But sometimes don't come across well. <laughs> but that's my... <laughs> uh, well, anyway. you know, it is, it is a cycle, right? Listen, learn, act, repeat. <laughs> that's right. What? Uh, for, for approaching the or end of conversation, I would like to ask you a question about resistance. For sure, you bring a lot of knowledge. You are a very smart girl. You are a very uh, uh, experienced professional. So the people definitely want to hear to you. That's the reason you are in Sweden right now. But probably not just in any country in the world, you, in any company, you face resistance to change, resistance to, to, to certain approach for CX. How, what you advise the people to do when they deal with those kinds of cases of resistance? I don't see the benefit. What will be my ROI of that? You know, those kind of questions that you, you like turn you off and the people ask you something like that. What, what, what is your experience with that? You know, that's a good question. I, I am not sure there's a good it question. <laughs> no, it, it is. Um, the little phrase I just, just said, listen, learn, act, repeat. Most people go listen, act. I listened, now I'm going to go act. But I'm very thoughtful about the fact that listening is not, it's only part of learning. And, and so to truly understand, I have to, to learn. And this is probably one of the hardest things as a leader for me, because usually, you know, at a certain stage, there's so much going on, a tremendous amount of really important work to do and people are excited to be a part of it you need to make progress there's pressure to deliver results it's easy to forget that listening and learning has to continue to happen throughout the process and it is if you're actively reaching out and listening throughout not just at the beginning and trying to learn from what you hear then you actually can overcome those objections those resistance points um, I, I, I think it's very difficult to do if you don't know why people resist. And if you haven't spent the time, not just, oh, they just don't want to change because they're used to the way they do it. Okay. But that's what root cause analysis is for. Go find out what they love about that old way or what they're concerned about changing. And how do you then help them say, okay, I get it. Changing might take more time now. But once you're used to the new way of working, it'll actually take less time. Let me prove that. How can I prove that to you? It's those types of discussions where you're really thoughtful about, I'm going to really learn and get to the root cause of your concerns that help you devise better solutions and bring people along the journey. Impressive answer. I love your answers. Uh, and because I, 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 when you speak, we, we see experience here, not just uh, uh, reading books and, and those kinds of things. You are doing that. That's a totally different level. I love that. Thank you very much. Tabitha, uh, before I let you go, <laughs> oh, I let you go. <laughs> uh, how do people can, uh, can talk with you? Maybe LinkedIn, maybe how, how do people can contact you if they want to talk with you? I know that you are very busy and I appreciate your time here. LinkedIn is probably usually the easiest way. I will admit that I don't check it as often as I check my email, but I do try to check it every week. Um, and so definitely I encourage people to reach out and 
one of the things that, you know, I feel that I get from a lot of people in CX is not only their willingness um, to, to share what they learn, but to ask the hard questions and to get help. Um, that means that I'm always willing to, to help. Um, it may take me longer to get to it sometimes, but I am willing to help people. And I learn a lot through that process. And I appreciate the opportunity to share today some of the lessons I've learned, I recognize that trying to cram 20 years of experience yeah, <laughs> into a short period of time means that yeah. it's not as practical as everyone might wish. Um, but I hope that everybody who's listening today carried one thing away from them that they go, oh, let me think differently about that or let me go explore that concept and learn more about that. Yeah, I, 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 I think many people who watch that and who get your, your insights, I think are very fruitful because I told you, I see you here. <laughs> so that's, uh, I really like the, the experience that you have and all the background and all your insights. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, highly appreciate it. Have a great time here in Europe. If you come to Munich, we are here anyway. Okay. I Thank you very much that. for your time. I really appreciate it.